Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is Friday, November 18th. Yeah, 18th, 2022. And uh, coming up, we've got a killer on the loose in Idaho. Chinese harem sex cult is not the name of a new grunge band. And an update for the parents of Gabby Petito. Stay tuned. Much more to come on True Crime this week. Yes. Super excited. <laughs> we are all pumped to have James Renner. James Renner. That James Renner has zeroed in. James Renner once again drops a bombshell. Investigative journalist reporter James Renner, who's been on the podcast James a long Renner. time. Friend By of mine. a local writer, James Renner. James Renner. James Renner. James Renner. Right now, All right, let's get right to the top stories in true crime from around the world, gathered by me, James Renner, out of the kindness of my heart. You're welcome. Hey, uh, I've lost my mug, as you can see. My regular mug is not here tonight, but I've got a stand-in. We're going to make it work. It's full of Dr. Pepper to keep me up, keep me perky. Way longer than Mr. Pibb would, if you ask me. He doesn't even have a doctorate. Uh, all right, top story here. The Seattle Times is saying that the University of Idaho is emptying out. The students are leaving in mass. This after the local police admit they have no idea who killed four students this week and that the killer may still be a danger. This all started last week, Sunday, around noon. Somebody called 911 from a townhouse in Moscow, Idaho. This is right outside the University of Idaho campus. We're talking about those townhomes that serve, you know, if you have enough money and you're an upperclassman, you can go into these townhouses. When I went to Kent State, I shared one with, you know, four or five other friends. And uh, we each had a room, and then we shared a bathroom. This is kind of that situation. So picture a townhouse with like six bedrooms, uh, almost like a private dorm. Um, the call that the police got initially was that an unconscious individual had been found, that somebody was found passed out. It was a lot worse than that. When the police arrived, they discovered a crime scene. Uh, among the dead, here are the four students, 21-year-old Madison Moden, 21-year-old Kaylee uh, Gonsalves, 20-year-old Zena Kernodal, and 20-year-old Ethan Chapin, or Chapin, sorry. Um, all each were killed by an edged weapon we don't know what that means exactly. Could be a knife. There are no signs. Here's where the mystery begins, uh, because there are no signs of a struggle. Uh, 
the front door was open, and there were two other roommates still in the townhouse. Remember, this is one of those townhouses with like five or six bedrooms, so they had to be kind of sleeping through the night when four of their friends were murdered. Both of the uh, survivors were women that apparently didn't hear a thing. University of Idaho is a big state school, 26,000 students. Now, classes have been canceled, and many of the, for the near future at least, and many of the uh, students are leaving early for Thanksgiving. Professors are saying they won't hold classes until police name a suspect or release more information. Ethan Chapin's mother, Stacy, gave an interview with the Bozy Statesman. She says, quote, I don't want people to make assumptions about our kids. This wasn't drugs. Somebody entered the house. And this, the whole setup, the whole MO here, and it, that was my first thought too. This was just, this was some killer that entered the house under the cover of night. Perhaps the front door was still unlocked. I don't know if there was a party earlier that night. And then, and then for whatever reason, whatever twisted reason, stabbed to death four people. Uh, this reminds me of Ted Bundy's crimes, actually, which happened in Florida dormitories in the late 70s. The Independent uncovered an interesting clue, um, possibly related to this case, on Thursday when they unearthed a report from the University of Idaho that went out September 12th of this year. A man was spotted walking through campus and threatening people with a knife. He was described as an 18 to 22-year-old white male dressed in black, but then the police followed up and they said, oh no, that man turned himself into law enforcement at that time, and they don't believe it's connected. So uh, be careful out there, University of Idaho students, and hopefully they resolve that soon. Uh, second story of today, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to this. Um, now, I'm not going to show you, I was going to show you what these two individuals look like, but I, in a way, I think that's kind of unfair um, at this point. But uh, this is not, I guess, even a crime, but uh, I, everybody, everything's kind of pointing that it will be, there will be charges coming, possible indictments. Here's what's going on. Uh, if you're not into cryptocurrency or NFTs, I need to get you up to speed. Trust, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to bog you down in the weirdness of it all. But uh, I have to tell you about this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, and this woman who worked with him, Caroline Ellison. So far, like I said, neither is charged in a crime, but it's likely coming. And Hollywood, I guarantee it. Uh, you know, the actors, the, the great uh, agents in Hollywood are already salivating who's going to play them in TV adaptations. Uh, obviously, it should be Jesse Eisenberg and Kate Micucci. Um, call me, I'll, I'll put it together. So anyways, what did Sam and Caroline do? Well, Sam is a 30-year-old graduate of MIT who created a cryptocurrency called uh, a cryptocurrency exchange, which was called FTX. Now, when I say cryptocurrency exchange, think of Wall Street, but nerdier or imaginary. Um, that's where you're going to trade cryptocurrency. And he set it up in the Bahamas, which is not super fishy at all, right? Caroline Ellison is 28 years old. 
She's the CEO of Alameda Research, which is a cryptocurrency hedge fund located in, wait for it, the Bahamas. Yes, Alameda Research's power relied heavily on tokens, which were called FTTs, which is the currency that you, these, I'm sorry, these tokens were used to trade on FTX. Don't worry, you're not going to be tested on this. Just, this is one of those um, bullshit money things that people thought up and figured it was a good idea to invest in. Just like everything else, uh, it was subject to uh, a crash. Stick with me here. Uh, it gets interesting. Caroline, according to news reports, was dating Sam. Of course they were. And they lived together in a polyamorous utopia. In Caroline's own words, she believed in the idea of a, quote, imperial Chinese harem. None of this non-hierarchical uh, <laughs> non uh, stuff. Everyone should have a ranking with their partners, she goes on to say. People should know where they fall on the rankings, and there should be vicious power struggles for higher ranks within the harem. Uh, all right, look, uh, more power to you. We're not shaming anybody's uh, thing. Polyamory can and, and does work. But when you get into double digits as far as polyamory is concerned, when you get into the double digits like they were, and a lot of money is involved, it starts to sound like a cult. So anyway, Sam was worth $16 billion just a couple days ago, and now FTX has collapsed, and he's possibly digging in his pockets for spare change. Uh, Alameda Research, by the way, also declared bankruptcy, and hundreds of millions of dollars may be missing. To give you an idea of how bad this is, the guy who helped make sense of everything after Enron's implosion is now in charge of this FTX and its assets. Um, this all boils down to the funky business that we don't think about too much, which is what is money? What defines money? What the heck is it? I pull out, you know, a dollar bill and it's, it's just paper. What says that it's worth a dollar? Um, confidence is the answer. We have confidence that it's worth a dollar. And actually now with inflation, it's probably worth about 50 cents uh, because our confidence has gone down and other things have increased. So it's all, it's all just, it's all just a story, man. Uh, <laughs> um, anyways, people lost confidence last week in FTX. And just like that, it tanked. It was a good old fashioned run on the bank when this there was a Chinese investor involved. He withdrew all of his, uh, he cashed out. And everybody's like, oh my God, that guy who seems to know what he's doing is running for the hills. So let's all pull our money too. And then it was a cascade effect. Uh, so anyways, lots of, uh, you know, Sam filed for bankruptcy with all of his companies. And since they filed for bankruptcy, they had to admit to certain things and uh, other other weirdness has come to light, including the fact that Sam uh, got a $1 billion loan from Alameda, which is starting to look a whole lot like laundering. Uh, and they've used the FTX money to buy personal homes for employees. Uh, it's, it's a mess. Um, but 
guaranteed this is just going to be a bigger story in the weeks to come. There's going to be a lot of fallout. should be interesting to see what in the world happens um, and uh, how everybody in the sex uh, harem is doing. Wall Street Journal has an excellent write-up. There's a link at the liner notes. Last uh, top story, and then we'll get into the cold case updates, and boy, do I have some weird ones this week. Um, this Wednesday, agents with the Air Force and the FBI raided the home of a guy named Jorg Arnu, which sounds like a Star Wars character, right? Uh, but it's not. It's a real, real guy living in Rachel, Nevada, very small town. And what were these agents after? They were after photos and videos of Area 51. Arnu runs a website called Dreamland Report, uh, which, you know, Dreamland is another term for Area 51. It's what they call them. They're dreaming up new ideas of space and technology, maybe reverse engineering UFOs, they, they claim. Anyways, he runs this website that has all this, all these conspiracy theories on it, as well as videos and photos that were taken, including videos from drones flying around Area 51 that might have seen more than the government wanted them to see. Arnu, for instance, believes he has photos of a new secret unmanned stealth aircraft that looks, you know, that looks like a UFO, right? Uh, anyways, the, the agents took laptops, phones, everything they could. Arnu says the warrant that he was given had 40 pages missing and the case file was sealed. This is according to the Las Vegas Review Journal. And this sure sounds like the beginning of the next X-Files film, right? I think it's a pretty good start. I wonder what was on, I wonder specifically what they were after there. So, uh, very cool story out of Nevada this week. Hey, uh, I've got cold case updates coming up, including um, a win for the uh, Petito family, Gabby Petito's fa uh, um, parents. And uh, I want to tell you about a, an, a case from the old Unsolved Mysteries TV show that might have been solved by a Redditor this week. So we'll be right back, two and two. Stay tuned. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. And welcome back to Mike Hammer, starring Stacey Keach. To the cold case updates, let's go. Earlier this year, I told you the weird story of one Nicholas Aliverdian, sort of David, kind of like a, you know, Dickens' David Copperfield, but if it had been written by Stephen King. Well, a Scottish court this week finally ruled that he is, in fact himself. Let me get you up to speed on this one. Nicholas Aliverdian was brought up through the foster system in Rhode Island. Lived at a state facility during the day, this when he was a kid, and a shelter at night. Early on he was diagnosed with narcissism and ADD. Somehow he becomes a legislative page in the Rhode Island House of Representatives at the age of 14. He impressed the congressman so much that the congressman uh, started efforts to adopt him before a judge intervened and said, you, you, you really, you, you don't want to do this. You don't know what this kid's like. So he, he wasn't adopted then. He grows up, though. He goes to college in Ohio in 2008, where he sexually assaults a woman. He's convicted under the name Nicholas Rossi here in the state of Ohio. Rossi was the last name of Aliverdian's stepfather, and he tried to get out of it by presenting a MySpace post to the judge showing that the victim had admitted lying about the attack, but then they realized, oh, wait a second, you did this on, like, Photoshop or something. So Aliverdian runs from Ohio. He goes back to Rhode Island. Skip forward a little bit. The FBI begins investigating him for fraud in 2020. His former foster mother had reported that Nicholas had opened 22 credit card credit cards under her name to the tune of $200,000. So the FBI is on to him. What does he do? He fakes his own death. Uh, he even goes as far as writing his own obituary, which he sends to the paper, in which he says he, he died of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, and he, he disappears again. Flash forward to December 2021. A man calling himself Arthur Knight, ended up at a hospital in Glasgow, Scotland. Hospital staff became suspicious and started probing around his background, discovering that the man's tattoos matched those of a man who disappeared while under investigation in the U.S., Nicholas Aliverdian. 
he was uh, arrested, but he's all this time been denying that he is in fact Nicholas Aloverdian, aka Nicholas Rossi. He's just Arthur Knight in line for the throne. Uh, the Lady of the Lake gave him the sword. It's all done. Just leave him alone. No, they didn't. Um, anyways, he was arrested. And this week, sheriff's court, a sheriff's court in Scotland ruled that in all likelihood, Arthur Knight is in fact Nick Rossi, a.k.a. Nicholas Aloverdian. His fingerprints matched, according to People.com. This all paves the way for his extradition, where he comes back to the States to tell us some more stories. The parents of Gabby Petita were awarded $3 million from the estate of Brian Laundrie this week in a civil lawsuit in their favor, according to Oxygen.com. Now, of course, Brian Laundrie never made that sort of dough. So they're never going to get that much money. So it's, it's more of a statement than anything else. Anything that's left in that kid's name, um, and I say kid, he was a young man, uh, but uh, everything that's left is going to the Petitos. Um, remember, Gabby's body was discovered September 2021 in Grand Teton National Park after she'd been murdered by Brian. Brian then committed suicide at home after pretending he knew nothing about it for a while. Uh, Gabby's parents are still suing Brian's parents, accusing them of keeping their son's whereabouts secret and attempting to get him out of the country. So uh, the follow-up continues from the Petito case. Let's go to genetic genealogy news. Um, the first case is out of Loveland, Ohio, which is my favorite little town in Ohio, and I'll tell you why, because Loveland, Ohio is the home to the Loveland Frog, our weirdest local legend, and there's been reports of a half-man, half-frog creature living in the Little Miami River going back hundreds of years. Police in 1970s said that they shot at it, and uh, here's a sketch of the creature. Um, this story has nothing to do with the Loveland Frog other than location. I don't think the Loveland Frog had anything to do with the uh, what, what ultimately happened, but it's a good story because they caught the bad guy in this weird little town that should be the Twin Peaks of Ohio or something. This case involves, uh, so it begins March 23rd, 1978, a week before I was born. Um, a, where a young woman named Cheryl Thompson left her home in Cincinnati, never to return. A couple weeks later, her body was discovered on the banks of that little Miami River in Loveland. She'd been strangled. She'd suffered trauma to the head. This according to WLWT. And now the police were smart. They were able to get DNA, uh, even though DNA hadn't been used to solve any cases until like 1987. But it was on their radar. They took took some evidence that contained DNA that kept it safe all these years. Genetic genealogy recently led to a family named the Howells. And one of the brothers of the Howells, brother, this, this guy Ralph Howell, died in a car accident in 1985. And the genetic genealogists were like, we think it's this guy that died in the car crash a couple years after the, the murder. So they exhumed him. They tested his jawbone, and sure enough, it matched. Detectives now believe it gets better. Detectives now believe that Ralph Howell is responsible for three other murders that occurred in the late 70s with similar MOs. There's no doubt in their mind that he died an unknown serial killer. 
He was working as a newspaper delivery driver at the time, giving him access to many of these neighborhoods that he cased. So nice job there. Another cold case was solved with this week with genetic genealogy. This one out of Rhode Island. April 12th, 1987, two young girls were lured into the woods in the town of Exeter where they were sexually assaulted. DNA from a rape kit from that case was entered into CODIS, but um, it didn't get a hit, which meant the guy never got in trouble, at least to the level of a felony again. So police recently turned to Identifinders International. That's the, uh, that's the group headed by my, my friend Colleen Fitzpatrick, and one of her genealogists, Linda Doyle, did the work here found that it was the DNA traced to three brothers and found that the oldest brother, Frank Thies, had reported to the Naval Justice School in Newport the day before the girls were assaulted, putting him in the area. So the police went, questioned him. He admitted that he was present in the area and had a knife that day. And then his DNA matched. He was arraigned yesterday in Washington County Superior Court He's 66 years old now, and if convicted, he'll spend the rest of his life in prison. Here's that story I wanted to tell you about from Reddit. This is pretty cool, uh, and it's developing right now. This, this post is two days old, but here's what's going on. Two days ago, a poster using the name Jubaka420. Uh, that's, that's Jubaka, like Chewbacca, but, but you know, Jubaka. Chewbacca 420. So that's that's where the source is coming from. But trust me, the goods the goods are here. He posted a short message, quote, did I solve this unsolved mystery? And he linked to the to this specific episode from Unsolved Mysteries back in its original run with Robert Stack. And it told the story of Jack Quinn, who was a general manager of a company that provided armed guards and security to banks. Well, he went to work on April 9th, 1988, and secretly packed up over a million dollars from the vault. Then he went home, put it into suitcases, and drove to the airport, disappearing, leaving his very confused wife behind. Now, the ensuing investigation uncovered the fact that the IRS was after him, and he knew he was probably going to jail, so that's why he decided to grab the money and run. Now, the FBI has been looking for him ever since, so anyways, Jubaka 420 was watching an old episode of un, uh, uh, this this old episode of Unsolved Mysteries and he made note at at one point in the episode the FBI gives possible aliases that this guy's using and they said he they believe that he could be living in Maryland. Well, uh Jubaka googled the name, the alias. And it and it popped up. There was a news article from August of just this year, just a couple months ago about an older man in Maryland using that same name, that alias name, who was suffering from dementia and had wandered away from care. It was a missing persons report. Now, eventually they did find him and get him back, so he's not missing, he's not dead, he's somewhere in a care facility in Maryland. And it sure, it sure looks like him. I'm not gonna give the alias away right now, you can find it if you do some digging. Um, but it looks pretty good to me. He's not been arrested yet, though, so uh, is this an exclusive almost? Not really, um, but you heard it here first. On to pop culture. New true crime story Chippendales premieres this week on Hulu. 
Now this tells, tells the sordid story behind the male strip club and the, the empire around it. Now Chippendales, I didn't know most of this stuff. I know Chippendales mostly from SNL you know, with the Chris Farley uh, sketch that, that was so popular. Um, but Chippendales was founded by Indian, uh, India-born Steve Banerjee. Banerjee. It was a big deal, you know, trust me, a big deal in your grandmother's time. Uh, now, other people thought, like, hey, this male stripper thing seems to be working, really taking off. So several other people decided to try their hand at male strip clubs, too. Weird thing is, they kept burning down. Then in 1987, Banerjee got caught hiring a hitman to murder his business partner. He ended up going to federal prison where he hanged himself in a cell. Spoiler alert, but uh, quite a sordid story. And Chippendales is still going strong. And finally, let's take a look at the bookshelf this week. What's the true crime book of the week? It is Norco 80. The true story of the most spectacular bank robbery in American history. This isn't your regular, like, serial killer fare. This is a little, a little more interesting, I think. Norco 80 tells the story of how five heavily armed young men, led by an apocalyptic born-again Christian, attempted a bank robbery that turned into the one, one of the most violent criminal events in U.S. history, forever changing the face of American law enforcement. Part action thriller, part courtroom drama, Norco 80 transports the reader back to the Southern California of the 1970s, an era of predatory evangelical gurus, predatory evangelical gurus, if you will, doomsday predictions, mega churches, and soaring crime rates with the threat of nuclear obliteration looming over it all. A nice fun read. So check it out. Norco 80 for, the, for my pick of the week. Send me your true crime books if you have them, if you have some recommendations. Uh, and and that's, that's the show for this week. Uh, and we've, we've survived another week. It's snowing in Ohio, but we're still alive. And that's reason to celebrate. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, the godfather of Cleveland Radio, that means we gotta, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a fearful symmetry production. Photo and artwork are licensed through Shutterstock. If you like the cut of my jib, I have another podcast you might enjoy called The Philosophy of Crime, in which I attempt to solve the big questions behind our true crime obsession by looking to philosophy for answers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Sit, Brownie, sit. Good dog.